Uh, we are going to John chapter 21. Head closer to the verses around verse 15, 16, and 17. John 21 is where we need to be. We are under the theme of preparing for harvest. Events that took place between the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, and the great day called Pentecost in Acts chapter number 2. It corresponds with the Jewish calendar of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which took place at the time of Passover. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was that week that followed. And then the Feast of Pentecost, or the Feast of First Fruits, was some 50 days later. And uh, between those two uh, events, that uh, the men were there to, to um, be a part of, the Lord had another plan. That was the birth of the church. How do you prepare now 11 disciples for something in 50 days that's going to absolutely amaze them? 3,000 people will come to know Christ as their Savior. And these 11 are going to be used, and they're going to vote one more in, by the way, but there will be 12 men selected by the Lord to lead the church. Are they ready? Well, it seems like there's a lot of work to do. And so there are several things that the Lord, I believe, in these... Uh, he stayed 40 days and then left, and 10 days later was Pentecost. So I believe there were several things he was to instill in them to make them good servants. And we saw last week he had to instill trust in them, a servant's trust. Right? They believed in him. Right? That we can start with. But did they trust him? Especially with what's coming up. They've got to learn to trust him. And they needed to understand that Jesus gives directions. Now, we would like, I know even you and I would like that he just maps out everything. Right? Wouldn't that be great? Tells you every single place to go and, and what to do and when to do it and why you're doing it and what would be the outcome of doing it. Wouldn't you like all that information? In our culture, we have those little uh, uh, map quest type of programs we could go on and type in our destination and it would tell us every road that you're going to go down and where there's stop signs. And they're even telling you where the hotels are and things along the way to help you map out your journey. Now, how would you like to go on there and they say, well, first thing you do is start your car and then trust us for the next step. Now, most of us wouldn't be comfortable with that, would we? This is where the disciples had to learn. They were told to go to Galilee. Did they go? They did eventually, but immediately they did not go. And then when they finally got there, they didn't know what to do next. And so they decided to go fishing. And we talked about that story last week. Um, they ended up fishing, and they only caught fish when Jesus directed them where to cast their net. So they had to learn trust. Today we're going to talk about loyalty. The servant's loyalty. And that's in John chapter 12, or 21, verses 12, all the way through verse 17. I'm going to read you the paragraph here. I know it's a very familiar one to all of us. In verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of his disciples ventured to question him, Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had finished breakfast, John, or Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. 
He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Heavenly Father, as we work our way through this passage today, I pray that you give us understanding, but also, Lord, use this text to challenge us. We, we love you. We say that. And this question is going to be raised several times today. Do we love you? Do we love you? Examine our loyalty as your servants today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this passage that we just read is a, a particular favorite chapter of mine, a section of mine. We, we have passages that, you know, get our attention here and there, and, and uh, we set them aside as, as a passage that we remember something else with sometimes. And for me, this passage reminds me of uh, the day I was ordained into the pastoral ministry. Now, I find this passage to be fascinating in its dialogue. I find it to be challenging in the request. And yet, there was a personal charge that went with this passage to me that day. That was, that was July 1990. That was a little while ago now. That... Uh, uh, I had already been serving as a pastor for three quarters of a year. And uh, this day came when they tested me. It was kind of an interesting thing. I'm already a pastor and they're testing me to see if I qualify for pastoral ministry. I didn't know what I'd do if I failed that test. <laughs> Matter of fact, we had invited relatives for the party afterwards. So I couldn't afford to fail the test. That would have been really uh, an embarrassing moment. But... Uh, um, I did pass, by the way, and uh, I remember sitting about where Brian is right now, and the elder of the church in, in Portage, Indiana, came up, and, and he had the responsibility of giving the pastoral charge, which is basically, he looked at my eyeballs, and he says, now listen, this is what you're called to do. And so I just sat there as he was speaking to me. He pulled out this passage and read it. And I, I could remember the look on his face as he read. I could, I could practically hear his voice still because of that, that moment. A dear friend of mine named Tom Ball. The Lord called him into ministry too. Uh, later, he's, uh, but he's looking at me and he's, he's reading these words and he kept saying, Do you love me? Feed my sheep. That seemed to be the two phrases that just kept coming and coming and coming again at that moment. So it became a very personal thing to me. And so when I read this passage, I get excited about seeing it again uh, and thinking about that day. But there was a man who this was directly aimed at, and his name was Peter. Now I set the scene for you again. This is breakfast at the beach. All right? The disciples had worked through the night trying to catch fish. We saw that last week. They had not succeeded. A voice calls from the shore, and they didn't know it was Jesus. But that voice told them, that man told them to cast their net on the other side of the boat. Now some of you know what it is to go fishing. And you're probably very good at it. Say that you're in a boat. You have with you a smaller boat, because that's the way they would do this. But the boat that you were in, let's say, was, was maybe eight feet wide. It was not a small rowboat. It was a, a bigger sized boat. There's several men in the boat with you. And there you are, you are fishing with a large net stretched between, between your boat and the smaller boat where a couple of other men are. And this large net is stretched out between you. And the goal is, of course, for all the fish to swim right into it and fill up the net, right? That's what they were doing. They were fishing with nets between two boats. And they could not catch anything. Now, if you're working with an area maybe eight feet wide, on one side you've got your net stretched to this other boat, and somebody yells there, put your nets on the other side. That's not just putting a line in the water, you realize. 
That's a huge net between two boats, and you're not talking about a great span of distance between the two places. How logical does that sound to you? Well, all the fish are on this side of your boat, not on that side. Could you imagine that? These were trained fishermen at the top of that, but you know what they did. They put their nets on the other side, and they filled up completely full. So much so that they couldn't even lift it out of the water. They, they, it, was, it was large enough to burst the net, though it didn't. Now this huge catch is made. John is sitting there in the boat and he says, That's Jesus! Peter jumps out, swims to shore. The disciples come rowing their way in, dragging their nets behind them. They find a fire already on the beach. Perfect for Peter. He's all wet right now, isn't he? He needed the fire. It was was breakfast time, and and Peter is there. Fish were cooking on the fire. And if you saw the text, there was bread cooked too. Already made, baked bread on the beach. There they had bread and fish, Jesus waiting for them. He says, why don't you bring in some more fish? And Peter runs back and, and does something that all the rest couldn't do. He grabs the net and drags it up by himself. But he brings up the additional fish, and he brings it up to Jesus. The fish is cooked, and it's eaten. And that's a very nice way to start a breakfast, isn't it? On the beach. Jesus now speaks to Peter after the breakfast is over. I've heard many, many different approaches to this text. I know you probably have too. This conversation is fascinating. I'd like to do some observation with you, all right? As we just look at our text. Keep your eyeballs right here between verse number 15 and on to verse number 17. Let's look at what we see in this passage. It says, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He says, tend my lambs says to him a second time. Similar conversation. Says to him a third time in verse 17. Similar conversation. Now, people look at this and they say, well, it's a form of restoring Peter because he had denied him three times, right? And so the Lord used these three questions of his love to restore him back into that relationship. And that's a very common explanation you'll find in commentaries. Very common. And it could be accurate in that sense. It's interesting, three and three, and and the first three were denials, and these last three were questions of love. That's an interesting way of looking at this. Another is a test to see what kind of love Peter had for Jesus. Now, Our English translations use the word love. We see it, L-O-V-E, love. Do you love me? Uh, We have the advantage at times when we're studying in in the Greek text to see that there are different words being used in this passage. The Greeks actually had three words for love. Uh, One that's, well, it's just basically not in Scripture at all. It's the word eros is love. And that is their self-seeking kind of love. It's one directional. It's for me. <laughs> All right? it's, a, it's what we might call a very selfish love, a self-seeking love. Uh, some people even go beyond that with the idea of eros. But uh, it, is a, it is one kind of love that the Greek text or the Greek language had. The second is probably more prevalent in what we would understand. It's the word phileo. Phileo is based on the idea of Philadelphia and all these other words we know. It's a love for our brother. Philadelphia is love for a brother. That's two Greek words. But it's a reciprocating kind of love. It's a kind of love that responds to things, but also gives in response. It's a going back and forth kind of love. A take and receive kind of love. We sometimes refer to it as affectionate love. Uh, a true friend's love. You know how true friends are, right? They love and they give to one another and they, they, uh, uh, that, that kind of love is a typical love we live by. Matter of fact, it's not an inferior love at all in scripture. Some people put it on a lower tier, 
because they think, well, it's, it's less than agape love. But actually, Scripture commands us to love this way. There's all kinds of New Testament verses that speak of, of the fact that we are to love one another with brotherly love. We are to have that kind of relationship of, of good friends. After all, Jesus did call his disciples friends, didn't he? So the concept of this love is not foreign at all in the Christian world. It might even the most, be the most common love in the Christian relationship. Loving one another. Now, I also find it interesting in this, and I'm not going to do a study on it today, but you wives might be very interested to know that phileo love is the love commanded of a wife toward her husband and children. Now, commanded to them, I think that's an interesting thing, and, and maybe only you guys can answer why that has to be a command to you. While the husbands are commanded to love their wives in agape form, the wives are told to love their husbands in phileo form. That'd be a very interesting study someday. But I don't have the answers to all of that. Agape love is a third kind. Agape love, of course, is a sacrificial love, right? We put it as a big one. If we're ranking them, we always rank it seem higher than the rest because it's the ultimate love. It's a sacrificial love. It's the kind of love where you give your life for someone. That's the kind of love God has for us. Where he even gave his own son for us. It's a giving love. It is one directional too. It is one directional. It's giving. Without the concept of receiving. It is giving. It is giving. And that's an amazing kind of love. And we look at that and say, wow, that's, that's what God does. We call it sometimes a divine love. A Christian love, if you will. So, you can see these three set next to each other. Eros is only coming toward me. Sorry, I beat my microphone. Only coming toward me. Phileo is coming from me to you, me to you, me to you. And agape is from me to you, without an expectation of return. You see, the Greeks had three different ways to describe love. And it makes it fascinating when you're going through a passage to see that two of these are being used in this very paragraph. Take Eros out of the picture, all right? Phileo and agape are part of this conversation. And it does make it rather interesting, like this. Verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me with a sacrificial kind of love, the agape love, the ultimate love, the giving one directional kind of love? Do you love me like that? Do you love me more than these? And Peter says to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you in a reciprocal kind of love, a love that responds to love and gives back love. It's affectionate. It's a true friend's kind of love, a give-and-take love. It's two-directional. That's how I love you. That's an honest response, don't you think? That, that's, not, that's not saying, I love you less. All right? That's not what he's saying here at all. He, he once made a claim, if you recall. Matter of fact, several times he made the same claim. That, uh, Lord, I love you so much, I will give my life for you. Remember those claims? Peter had said those words. What did he find out about that kind of a claim? He didn't do it at the time he could, did he? He ran. He hid. He denied. He cried. So, here's an honest response from him. He wasn't saying, I can love you sacrificially with nothing in return. I know I vowed to die for you, but I denied you. I love you, Lord, though. I love you with that kind of love that speaks of our friendship, our brotherhood, our, our love back and forth. I love you. And Jesus says, tend my lambs. Then in verse 16, he says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me with a sacrificial love, with that agape love that is always giving one direction? It's the ultimate love. Do you love me with that love, Peter? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you with the phileo kind of love, the kind of love that's give and take, go back and forth, that relationship, that affectionate, uh, true friends kind of love. Lord, you know that I have this two-directional kind of love. And Jesus said, shepherd my sheep. 
He says to him a third time, verse number 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me with a phileo kind of love that goes back and forth, a two-directional kind of love where we speak of friendship and give and take and all these other things. Do you love me like that? All of a sudden you see a change of words, don't you? He went from asking him of the one kind of love, the sacrificial, to this one that Peter has affirmed twice already that he had. And Jesus asked him there, do you love me with that? Do you love me with that kind of love? And Peter responds, first it says, he was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And he uses his phileo one more time. That reciprocating kind of love that goes back and forth, affectionate, true, friends kind of love, two-directional kind of love. Jesus says, tend my sheep. Fascinating dialogue. What does all that mean? Well, let's observe a couple of other things first. This could be easily understood as a test about the level of love Jesus had, or Peter had for Jesus. What level of love do you love me? We see Peter is no longer self-confident in his love for Christ. And the last question came down to this level, didn't it? You might have thought he'd be relieved. Oh, he gets it. I can't love, if we're talking levels, I can't love on this level, but I can love on this level. And Jesus finally asked me on this level. And do you feel relief in that? What does it say Peter felt? Grief? What's grief got to... I, I would say, whew, he gets me. He understands this is the best I can do. And, and this is where he's come down to my level. Why is he grieved? Why is he distressed? The word grief is, is he's heavy. He's sorrowful. Sorrowful on hearing this word. It doesn't say he's annoyed, right? It doesn't say, and, and Peter was annoyed that he asked him the third time. It doesn't say that Peter was angry, does it? He's not angry that he asked him a third time. Matter of fact, folks, it doesn't say that he felt shame or that he felt guilt. If he felt those, there were words for that. He did not feel those either. This wasn't a, a, a way of exposing the fact that he denied him. Because that would have been a guilt or a shameful thing. This was something made him feel heavy, or distressed. And, and the fact that he's being questioned in this manner might be that. For his very mouth he denied the Lord. And you know after you denied somebody three times, how quick are you to open your mouth the next time? Jesus is making him open his mouth, right? He's asking him a question that demands a verbal answer. He didn't just suggest, Peter, hey, I know you went through a rough time. That's okay. We'll get through this. He didn't say that. He made him answer him these questions. And maybe that's what the grief was in all this, because he had to answer verbally. And then added to it, what did Peter put before every single phrase? Lord, you know. Do you see that? Lord, you know that I love you. Lord, you know that I love you. Lord, you know that I love you. Now, interesting, most of the time when we're studying this, we're looking at the love word, and we don't notice this change. This is great, too. Watch this. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know. Now, in Greek, that's oida. Oida is a perfect knowledge. Right? You would love to have oida in your thinking. That means you know it. Alright? There's no doubts. There's nothing else to learn. You know it. It's perfect knowledge. That's the word he used. It says, you know perfectly. You know that I love you. Now, if he knows that, do you think it's funny that he asked? All right. Second time, verse 16. He says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know. 
Once again, he uses that oidaf word, perfect knowledge. You know, Lord, there's nothing else for you to know about this. You, you know it all perfectly. You know that I love you. Third time, Jesus asked him. Now, isn't that funny still? Why does he have to ask him three times if he's already known it the first time? But here's the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know. Same word. You say, okay, what's the, what's the catch here? Same word all three times. You know, Lord. You know, Lord. You know, Lord. Perfect knowledge. You know. You know all things. Does he? Does Jesus know all things? What theology just popped up on the page? You know all things. There is nothing hidden from his sight. That's absolutely true. There is nothing hidden from his sight. He knows it all. Okay? That's a good place to start. Lord, you know all things. But watch this. You know, the very next phrase in verse 17, you know he changed words. He's not using uh, oida anymore. He turned to a Greek word called gnosko, which means to grow in knowledge of something. That's where we are, by the way. We're all in the department of gnosko. We are learning things. We're in the process of learning things. Today we're supposed to learn a little bit more or know a little bit more than yesterday, right? I hope so. Good. That means we're growing in the process. We're growing in the process. We're growing. And most of that is learned by experience. After you do something three times and you know you get shocked every time you do it, you know the fourth time not to do that, right? I hope. Unless you're the kind who takes 12 times before you're convinced. This is Genosco. It's the learning side of knowing something. This is what's interesting. And when I saw this in observation, I said, wow. He says, Lord, you are learning that I love you. Now, does that mean Jesus didn't know? Uh-uh. It's based on an experience. And the experience was what Peter was offering. Peter was confessing something very clearly here, I think. His, Jesus' understanding of Peter's love for him was only going to be shown in the things Peter did. Peter's experiences were going to back up this statement. So, it was as if Peter was saying, Lord, you're coming to know me by my experience. I've got to show you that I love you. I've got to show you. Now, where, where this is, is I, I'm learning it, and you're seeing it by my experiences. You're going to see I love you. This is no longer just the statement, is it? I will die for you. This is, I'm going to show you over time that I love you. I thought that was a fascinating twist in the words Peter is saying. Something else Peter didn't say, if you notice this. He didn't ever say, when Jesus said, do you love me? He didn't say, I know that I love you. He never said that, did he? He always said, Lord, the determination of love is what you know. Interesting dialogue, wouldn't you say? This is just observation. We're looking at this and say, okay, that's interesting. Now, notice something else. As I read this to you, maybe your translation didn't point this out as, as the New American Standard does, but his response, every time he said, do you love me, he gave that command at the end of the verse each time. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, tend my sheep. There's different words here, and some translations just use the same phrase every time. But believe it or not, it's different in all three texts. Each verse has a different phrase. And I think that's interesting, too. For the first time, verse number 15, he uses the word bosco. Bosco means to pasture. Take them out and let them eat off the land, if you will. Uh, take them to a place where they can graze. Feed my lambs. Tend my lambs is the phrase here in, in the New American Standard. Let them graze. Let them graze. Second time he says, shepherd my sheep. In verse 16, shepherd is more than just feeding them. It's guiding them. 
it's supervising them, it's protecting them, and it's a much uh, more involved word than the first one. It's not just take them out and give them something to eat. It's to do the work of a shepherd. A bigger concept. And that's what he told him the second time in verse 16. In verse number 17, he goes back to the word Bosco again. Feed them, graze, give them something, place to graze. Feed them out there in the field. I said, huh, that's interesting. Why is he shifting his words while he's talking to him? And then another thing he does, he changes who these individuals are. They start with, in verse number 15, the word for little lambs. Little lambs. They, they go with the smallest word for a lamb. It's a little lamb. Give them something to eat. In verse 16, he talks about little sheep. Apparently it's different than a lamb. Little sheep. Young sheep, perhaps, I'm not sure. But I know it's a different Greek word when I look at it. The third time he went through, in verse 17, he talked about the regular mature sheep. He moved up another notch when it comes to sheep. And, and all that's to say is, as I read through this passage, I say, wow, there's a lot of shifting going on as you're listening to the conversation. The love terms are changing. The feeding terms are changing. The knowledge is changing. The sheep are changing. Okay. What's all that mean? Well, perhaps, perhaps, he's referring to several roles that Peter's going to play, that Peter has no clue what's coming, but he's going to have to lead a variety of people who are in the flock of the Lord, from young ones to older ones, mature ones, perhaps that's part of that. He's got to feed, yes, he's got to supervise too. This is not a one-dimensional kind of task the Lord is preparing him for. It's a much broader, more involved ministry of supervising and leading and guiding and guarding and protecting and feeding and feeding and feeding. Raising up little lambs to little sheep to mature sheep. All of this in a question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Now, John 13, verse 35 says, By this all men will know. They will come to know. They will grow. That's our Gnosko word. They will come to grow by the experience that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's an interesting part of this conversation with several layers, I think, of, of meaning. But I want to push them all aside. All right, I gave you all the observations to set them over here for a minute so I could show you one particular thing about this conversation that stops me in my tracks every time. Back to verse number 15. Jesus asked him something very particular that is not repeated the rest of the times. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? What's the next three words? More than these. Aha. Uh -huh. It's not repeated in verse 16. It's not repeated in verse 17. So I stop with this and I say, what do you mean more than these? What, what was Jesus talking about? More than these. That's a comparison adjective. I, I see that on the text. It, it, it's it's a, Being an adjective, it also has to match a noun. Because that's the way adjectives work. They don't just hang out in midair. Okay? They have to go with a noun. Nouns and adjectives go together. And what's interesting in the Greek language, and I know I'm giving you a big lecture on this this morning, but in the Greek language, they have to match gender. Right? They have gender in their masculine, feminine, and neuter genders for their nouns. And the noun has to match. You can't mix them. All right? If you've got a masculine noun, you've got to have a masculine adjective. That's a, that's a rule. You can't break that rule. All right? So, this is interesting because here's my adjective sitting here, more than, and then the word these is neuter. It's like, okay, there's a clue. What is these? Well, every time I see a these in the text, I always go things. That's what I teach my students. If it doesn't tell anything else, just put the word things. Things is a great theological term. It doesn't cover a whole lot, but it covers neuters anyway. So, I always say things. It's plural. Do you love me more than these things? But then I've got a question. 
What are the things he's referring to? Go back to the shore and sit with him for a minute. Right around the fire, you're talking with Jesus, and he raises this question. Do you love me more than these things? Do you think he's talking about disciples? Some people do. They say, oh, he's talking, do you love me more than these disciples? Now, if that were true, he, he would be asking him perhaps in two different ways. These are your companions. You fish with them. You've spent time with them, at least three and a half years, but with Peter and, uh, or I mean, James and John and Andrew, you've been in business with them. Who knows how long? Do you love me more than these? These men that you spend time with? Do you love me more than these? That's a pretty good question, isn't it? Could Jesus ask that of us today? The people that we put around ourselves? We spend time with, we barbecue with them, you know, we do this and that with them, we go to church with them. Do you love me more than these? Commentaries go around and say, that's got to be it, that's got to be it. Or another question, which is kind of, uh, hits a little touch of the, uh, the pride in an individual. Do you love me more than these love me? What was Peter's boast often? Such as this. He once said something like this, you know. um, Even if everyone else forsakes you, Lord, I will not forsake you. What was he saying? I love you more than these, right? Well, do you love me more than anyone else could, Peter? Ooh, what a pointed question that would be. That, That really touches after you've denied him three times. That's quite a question, isn't it? Do you love me more than these? Well, all of those sound wonderful, like possibilities here, but they would all, since they're dealing with man and mankind, they would require a masculine adjective, and this is not masculine. I don't think he was asking him to compare himself to James and John and all the rest. I don't think so. But there are other things around. Like, look out on the shore there. What do you see two things sitting there? One's about eight feet wide, and you were just sitting in it. Boat. Do you love me more than your boats, Peter? Where did Peter just go? Fishing. Why? Because he didn't know what else to do? He was called to obey the Lord and go on into Galilee. He got to Galilee, and his first conversation was, let's go fishing. That was his career, wasn't it? That's what he had done. That was where he he had his trade. He went fishing. Perhaps, perhaps he was being asked, whose career are you going to choose right now, Peter? Whose career are you going to choose? Are you going to go back to your boats? Or are you going to be loyal to my calling? Do you love me more than these? And he points at the boat. How about fish? What did he just pull in on those nets? All those fish. You know what's interesting? Fish is neuter as a noun. Do you love me more than these? Do you love the Lord more than Long John Silvers? What a question! Oh, I love fish, Lord. I live for fish. By the way, boats are neuter too. Oh, and nets are too. And maybe he's, he's pulling on the net there, because Peter had drug it up, and he's saying, he's holding it, Peter, do you love me more than these? And he's holding the nets in front of him. Now, what, what's all this? You're, you're looking for fish with nets in a boat. He's pointing there. He may even be pointing at the skillet on the fire. Breakfast, do you love me more than these? Because after all, that's a reward for his work, isn't it? That's what he brings home. It's tangible, isn't it? It's a tangible thing. We live for tangible things. We work for tangible things. We, we, we invest our time and our money and our effort and even our lives, our health. We do all these things so that we can bring home this, so that we can have this, so we can build this, so we can live in this, we can drive this, right? Tangible things. We aim for things like that. What if Jesus calls you to a labor that isn't tangible? That you can't stand and count fish at the end of the day? 
What if he tells you to... Matter of fact, how exactly do you measure, other than weighing sheep, how do you measure feeding sheep? Well, I take them down to the scales. They'll tell me how much. I, I've been... There's tangible side to it, huh? I feed a dog out back every day. No profit in that to me. What's the difference between fishing for men and fishing for fish? What is he aiming at, perhaps? He's asking him, do you love me more than these, the rewards of your labor? By the way, Peter can't even call that a reward this morning, can he? He labored, he got nothing. Jesus gave him the result. So, with all this, I, I say, okay, Lord, what are you asking Peter here? What, what are you asking him to compare? What is he to love you more than? More than. You know, for Peter to be called a shepherd, it's going to be a radical job change. He has been a fisherman. When Peter starts to write his epistles, in First Peter, Second Peter, it's interesting. He doesn't use fisherman terms. He uses shepherd terms. I want to show you something. Go back with me to First Peter chapter one or five. First Peter chapter five. Here is Peter about thirty years later. All right, he's growing and growing and growing and showing by experience that he loves the Lord. He's been in ministry. Now, not all of it has gone real smoothly, but by the time he's reaches this point, he is a mature apostle, very mature apostle. And he's actually training other people for ministry. And this is what he says in 1 Peter 5, the first four verses. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder, and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. Notice the term shepherd pops up. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. According to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. All right, you, you just heard what Peter wrote, right? Let's go back and look at it for a minute. Do they express a loyalty to Christ? Do you see it in the words he's saying? Who's he serving? The chief shepherd, right? That's his ministry, serving the chief shepherd. He's also serving alongside other elders, fellow elders, he calls them. And he's encouraging them to serve as an example, as one who follows the chief shepherd. Now, he's not serving the shepherd for prestige. He's not serving the shepherd for prominence. He wasn't considering himself greater than other men. He was not doing it to gain wealth. He wasn't looking for the tangible. He was serving the flock, wasn't he? Serve the flock of God. Feed the flock of God. You are a serving the chief shepherd. Here's what it comes down to, if I understand this all correctly. Your love for Christ will be shown in the way you serve Him and feed His people. There's the question. Peter, if you love me, you will be feeding my sheep. That's the evidence of your love. You will do what I say. You will serve my sheep. You will love me in that fashion. Loyalty to Christ is evident when we do what he set us out to do. Feed his sheep. You see, this is what Peter said. I want to grow in this. And he reaches a point where he's teaching other people how to do it. Not for the tangible... Not for the tangible, not for what you can sit and count in your hands, not for what you're going to gain and, and give yourself an air of success, that, not that you can lord it over other people, but you're serving the shepherd. You love him? Serve him. Feed his sheep. Great day of Pentecost was about to be on them. 3,000 men will be one to Christ on that day. 
3,000 will be set in a newborn church. 3,000. What a huge harvest. More than fish in a net. Who's going to lead them to the Savior? Who's going to teach them? Who's going to feed them? Who's going to shepherd them? If you read Acts chapter 2, guess whose name pops on the screen? His name is Peter. Peter, you will be the one who will lead my sheep. Who then will be dedicating their lives to tending these sheep? You know, there is no greater tragedy than a disloyal shepherd. A disloyal shepherd. Uh, I could speak, if you were a room full of pastors, I'd, I'd, right now I'd, I'd say, look at me, eyeball to eyeball, and I'd start talking to you as to the challenge that awaits this kind of ministry. Feeding sheep. Pastors are called to that. Pastors are called to that. Personally, I think feeding is the idea of set a banquet before them. Give them something to eat. And that's always been my desire, is to, to feed. But here's what it comes down to. If we don't do that, then how can we say we're loyal to Christ? How can we say that we love Him if we do not serve Him? How can we back up our words? The way that the sheep knows that the Lord loves them many times is because the shepherd that He's put there is feeding them. It's part of the process. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Show them the love of Christ. Now, as I said, I can talk to pastors that way, future pastors that way. And I, I've got students throughout the year. I, I talk to them. We, we discuss things about future ministry. Well, what about you? You say, but I'm not going to be a pastor. <laughs> I'm out of this one. Uh-uh. No? You love Christ? Do you love him? You were sitting on the beach right now and he looked right at you. He said, do you love me? How would you answer? I go to church every Sunday. Do you love me? Is it evident that you are loyal to him? Evident that you are loyal to him. If he should ask you, that question, do you love me? Let me ask you another question. Are you expecting something in return? Are you going to play the love question like phileo and agape and all these other things? Are you going to keep working on that one until you're comfortable with this question? There's a song I want to read to you, just the words of it. And I know you know the melody, so it's probably going to pop into your head. But I'm just going to read you the words, and I want you to think as I read these words. They were written a long time ago by a Mary Brown and a Charles Pryor. We've sung these songs before here. But listen to these words. It may not be on a mountain's height or over a stormy sea. It may not be on a battle's front. My Lord will have need of me. But if by a still small voice he calls to paths I do not know, our answer, dear Lord, with my hand in thine, I'll go where you want me to go. Perhaps today there are loving words which Jesus would have me speak. There may be now in the path of sin some wanderer whom I should seek. O Savior, if you will be my guide through though dark and rugged the way, my voice shall echo the message sweet, or say what you have me to say. There's surely somewhere in a lowly place in earth's harvest field so wide, where I may labor through life's short days for Jesus the crucified. So trusting my awe in his tender care, and knowing he loves me, I'll do thy will with a sincere heart, a heart sincere, I'll be what you want me to be. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, over mountain or plain or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. 
loyalty. We call it love. What do you have for Jesus? What's he called us to be? What's he called us to say? Where has he called us to go? Do you love him? Do you love him? Heavenly Father, you know every heart in this room this morning and how such a thing becomes rather personal for us to answer. We can easily, like Peter perhaps, say the words. But when it comes down to the test, maybe our love has been more for ourselves. If we're asked, do we love thee more than these? And we set our collections in front of our eyes. That would be a test. To see if we love you more than the things we've collected, the jobs we have earned or worked for, the things, Lord, that uh, occupy our, our hearts and our minds, the rewards that we have lined up on the shelf. Lord, there's a lot of things that might be in this little phrase more than these, but the question is the same. Do we love you? And as we examine our hearts here this morning, Lord, we want to be loyal servants. In what you have called us to do, we want to do that with all our heart. We want to do it without our eye just for what we're going to get out of it. But how we're going to show our love for you in serving you in this manner. Since there are many gifts represented here and many ministries represented here, Lord, I certainly can't speak for individual needs, but as a church body, I can ask, Lord, if our love is what it ought to be and if our service to you shows it. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you might examine our hearts this morning and challenge us where we need challenge and make us fit for the harvest field that we might serve you because we love you. Thank you, Lord, for these words. We needed to hear them. Now, write them with something permanent in our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.